As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. This podcast is brought to you in part by Earth Class Mail, making your snail mail as convenient as email. Go to earthclassmail.com forward slash rocket ship for an exclusive discount. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Matt Goldman. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Today we talked with David Cancel, the founder of Drift. This was really, really interesting. I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts. Yeah, it was, um, wow. I mean, this is his fifth company. He was at HubSpot for three years, and he really took a lot of the lessons. It was interesting to hear how his lessons over the last five years have influenced this product and and kind of why he wanted to tackle this space. Um, So, Matt, what did you think? Yeah, and he talked a lot about how they started off raising money. Uh, Really, money was handed it to them when they lost when they left their previous job and they didn't really know what they were going to do they they knew the domain in which they were going to find a problem but it took them a long time to figure out where the value was and he talks about how to navigate the the stressful waters of that so it's a really good one rocket ship is proudly supported by you've probably heard of it and maybe you've read it it's the book Hooked by Nur Eyal. And now we have partnered with Creative Live to bring you an amazing 14-part series taught by Nur himself. And it digs into the psychology of how to make your product sticky. I learned a ton by going through this course, and I know you will too. It's essential for anyone building products today. So we've put together a list of our favorite classes, including this one by Nur at creativelive.com forward slash rocket ship. And if you go there right now, you get 30% off any of the courses that you purchase. That's creativelive forward slash rocket ship. Go get the hooked course today. Bench. 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 Bench.
Bench is an online bookkeeping service that provides you with tax-ready financial statements from professional bookkeepers. Go to bench.co forward slash rocketship to get 20% off. 20% off your first six months today. Today. <laughs> so David, welcome. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. No, absolutely. Um, we're really excited. So um, we're catching you at kind of a, a, a new time. You, you recently announced your, that you're working on, on Drift. Um, so kind of give us the, the overview of, of what you're building here. Sure. So yeah, we just announced what we're working on. We started uh, kind of in an unconventional way. Um, we started a year ago. We've been exploring and kind of iterating uh, privately. And um, where we came to was um, something that we had been focused on actually years ago, back in 2009. And we think about it as kind of finishing that story. And that was with another company called uh, Performable. So what Drift is focused on is uh, marketing to your existing customer base, specifically for uh, subscription businesses, whether they're SaaS companies or subscription e-commerce companies or offline uh, subscription companies those companies that have kind of a reoccurring relationship with their customer and uh, getting better at being able to market to them and uh, serve those customers. Okay. And so when you say market to them, um, oftentimes we think of marketing as that first touch or kind of getting them in. Um, How are you guys looking at it? Yeah. So we, to go back in history, uh, we started a company in 2009 called Performable that then got acquired by a company called HubSpot, all in the marketing world. And at Performable, we were focused on lifecycle marketing. And so that was, how do you market to a customer from uh, the beginning, which is like an anonymous user using your app or website, and then they become a customer. And then after they become a customer, how do you keep uh, that dialogue open with them so that they are know about the new features in your app so that they're a successful customer and eventually a, a happy customer that may be referring new customers to you. And, uh, and so that was the idea behind kind of lifecycle marketing still is. And uh, we went, we got acquired by HubSpot and uh, we then focused and narrowed our focus back down to just uh, the first part of that story, which was how do you get an anonymous user to become a lead, and then eventually from a lead to a, a customer, and uh, and then that was the end of the story. But um, at Drift, we're focused on what happens after they become a customer, and market to us means everything from kind of product marketing, growth marketing, which is how do you get them activated in the app? How do you tell them about new features and functionality? How do you introduce them to different parts of a community that you may have? And how do you keep that relationship going? So it's not marketing in the sense of uh, trying to find new customers. It's marketing in the sense of just communicating. And, and so, you know, in that year when you guys were beta testing this, what, um, what did you find people were either doing wrong or just kind of missing in that relationship? Mm-hmm. So we, what we noticed, and, uh, you know, we kind of had to go through this process, through this year-long process of talking to customers to then realize, like, oh, wait a second. We had seen these problems years ago, you mm-hmm. know, when we were doing formal. And we even saw these problems internally within HubSpot. But it wasn't until we had this context of talking to lots of customers that uh, that became apparent. And uh, it's usually the way, right? You have to, like, see something over and over again before totally. you, <laughs> you kind of see it. Yep. And so, uh, so uh, 
so we and we were talking to customers, and at first we were trying to figure out um, how were they, how was communication changing, right? Just in general, like okay. within a company, and that was within a like if you think about it with Slack, like how was communication changing because of things like Slack within a company? How is communication changing because of um, mobile phones and mobile devices and all and lots of other devices? And we were just kind of looking at that. And we started to explore with a bunch of um, experiments and they led us to uh, down the path to focus in on kind of the product uh, people within a company. And that's like uh, growth, marketing, product marketing, PMs, engineers, designers. How are they communicating to with customers if they were? And then also the support teams within an organization. They also then eventually led us to account managers and success and basically uh, everyone who deals with a customer. So when someone becomes a customer, what are all the groups within the company and uh, that are dealing with that customer and how are they doing that? And what we found was that um, it was a mess. Right? Okay. So, uh, yeah. Pretty simple, <laughs> a giant mess. Right. And this kind of mess, this mess uh, had existed in uh, that years ago in, on the marketing side, you know, before we had marketing automation and kind of retargeting and all these different kinds of marketing technologies that at the end of the day, what they were trying to do was kind of create a unified view of the the lead in their case. Those were not customers. So the lead and understand what was effective in all these different channels and driving leads further down the funnel. And uh, until we had those tools, it was kind of all homegrown, right? Before uh, uh, software like HubSpot or Drip or different marketing automation uh, software that you have today, most product teams ended up building that th- uh, homegrown kind of solutions. And what we saw on the customer side was almost the same thing. It was uh, a lot of homegrown stuff, a lot of um, spreadsheets, a lot of uh, customer support and customer success people, and even product marketing people having you know, 15, 20 different tabs open in lots of different software, whether it was like web analytics software or payment software or marketing software or whatever, just trying to figure out what is going on with, with their customers. So the example that you use on your homepage is uh, similar to a company like Lyft, where they can re-engage non-active users by sending them a discount for, for discounted rides. What are some other examples of how you're seeing companies re-engage and market to existing customers? Yeah, so... Um, you know, when we think about marketing to a customer, it's not only the traditional kind of product and growth marketing. I mean, we, we think that the one-to-one conversations that customer success or account management or customer support is having is also a form of marketing. And, uh, and so we see all different ways that people are using, um, using these kind of tools to re-engage their users. So uh, you mentioned the kind of the coupon model, which is like reach out to inactive users give them a coupon, try to re-engage them into using the app. That's one model. The, the, first, the, the bigger thing that we see people doing is just simply education. So, hey, Michael, uh, you know, we, ha- we just released a new feature. We think this feature would be great for you because X, Y, Z. So making you aware that there's a new feature. Or maybe you may have talked to someone within that company in the past and said that you are interested in a feature maybe you talk to a product manager and now we're reaching back out to you to say, Hey, we just implemented that feature. That was the one that you were asking for. We'd love to get some feedback on that, right? That looks like feedback, looks like communication, but to us is all communication is, is marketing of some flavor to us. 
And that's why we think about it as kind of relationship marketing and not the other forms of marketing, um, which are kind of focused on converting someone into a customer. Right. So is this, is it automated? Is, is there like a process that you guys are kind of putting in place there? Or is it more the tool set so that you can have that one-on-one conversation? It is, it is actually both. There okay. are two sides. There is the, what you would think about as the one-to-many side, and that is kind of a campaign that is like you're segmenting your customer base based on some number of attributes, and then you're sending them a message. And those messages could be anything or like the coupon example. They could be like a survey example. They could be like a notification that a new feature or a new thing that you asked for is out. They could be uh, letting you know that we had a problem with the app or the service recently. Whatever it is that the product marketing or growth uh, marketing folks are trying to communicate to you, those would be campaigns, right? They're one to many. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, there is what we call, there's the one-to-one stuff. And that is like, if you have a conversation with someone, whether it's like the support team, the success team, marketing team, like that is also captured. And so that you start to have a unified view on the customer, the one-to-one conversations that are happening, the one-to-many uh, campaigns or conversations that are that are going on, and also a single view of all your customers and everything that is happening. Very cool. Yeah. Um, what was kind of the what were some lessons that you took away um, from from kind of HubSpot that you're mm-hmm. now using um, using at Drift? Uh, so many. So you know, I was uh, I was at HubSpot for the last three three and a half years. I was there, yeah. and uh, they had acquired my company, Performable. And so uh, when I came in, we probably were around HubSpot was around two hundred. We had just hit around 200 employees. When I left, we were over 1,000 employees. Wow. So, yeah, pretty fast growth. And we yeah. were probably at like 2,500 customers. And when I left, we were about, uh, I think we had just hit fifteen or 16,000 customers. Okay. And so, so we saw a lot of growth. And, uh, and so there were so many lessons there. One of the most interesting lessons was that, um, that HubSpot was able to capture kind of uh, – a frustration and, and kind of build like a movement around inbound marketing. And mm-hmm. some people uh, call it count, content marketing, but like there was this built up demand and kind of like frustration out there. If you think about uh, traditional marketing teams, uh, they used to just be like the brand people, the advertising people, the direct response people, like all the things that you think about from like a madman side of kind of advertising. And then, but, and then there was, for a little while, there was always this one person on the team or second person on the team that may have been blogging or creating content, but they were always kind of like the ignored stepchild, right? They were like in the corner. They weren't really marketers uh, in, the, in the eyes of marketing, and they were just helping out. And what HubSpot captured was kind of like that movement and kind of um, made it a positive thing and gave those people a place to kind of feel like, um, what they were doing what mattered and so okay. really captured this moment. And so we're, we see a kind of similar thing happening with kind of product marketing and customer marketers where they are considered, they're usually the stepchildren in the marketing department. They're not really marketing because they market to leads right. and they don't do the typical stuff, even the inbound marketing folks do, which is just focus on leads and getting people in the funnel. They're focused on trying on the customer side of things, and they're usually very close to the product teams. And so we see that same kind of frustration there. We're trying to take that lesson 
from HubSpot and try to build a movement around that group. And so that sounds very intentional, right? Yes. To, to do that. Um, how, like, how, how hard has it been to, to build kind of a, a movement at that scale? Uh, uh, it was very hard at, at HubSpot. I mean, there were a bunch of great lessons from doing it, uh, but the demand there. And what we see at Drift is that the same demand, pent-up demand, or at least the early signs, right? Okay. Who knows what happens later? The early signs are there. And see that when we're talking to product marketers and growth marketers and, and, and product people about the kind of problems that we're trying to solve. And they, you know, send us emails that are, you know, are pages long, right? Like bullet point after bullet point after bullet point of all these frustrations that they have they can't uh, deal with today. And uh, they almost feel like, you know, no one is listening to them or they don't have an avenue to do a lot of this stuff. And that is what we saw kind of on the marketing side, right? No one was really paying attention to this group. Yeah. And and so when you give them attention, is it... Um I mean, I, I assume they get very kind of excited, like, hey, someone's finally listening, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's the yes. kind of excitement that you're trying to capture? Totally. It's very binary. It's like when you, when you strike on it, uh, it's pretty clear. Okay. Right? It's, uh, it's hard to describe, but it is that excitement that you see. And it's a difference between, like, if you're starting a, cus- a company and you're doing customer development and you're talking to folks and, like, yeah, they're sort of interested. Yeah, they're, you know, they'll get back to you. And, yeah, they'll reply to your emails, but it's, you know, one or two lines of a reply. It's kind of like a hassle to get them on the phone because they're busy mm-hmm. versus someone who is kind of sending you email after email, is super excited, super animated when you're talking to them and okay. uh, really hungry for someone to listen to them. In, okay, okay. And did you, did you um, which came first, I guess, kind of the, the um, idea to go after that uh, segment or, or kind of seeing the response from that segment and saying, okay, this is it, like a light bulb? Oh, definitely the latter. Okay. Uh, definitely okay. like seeing the excitement. Right. If maybe if we were a little bit smarter, maybe it would have been the other way around. Kind of intentional, but none of us are. Right? Uh, I've been doing this. No, I've been doing, I've been doing this so long that uh, I don't believe that that really exists anymore. Except in you know blog posts and uh, fairy tales. Right. <laughs> when you raised money, was this what you were planning on building? Um, no, is the short answer. Yeah. So we when we raised, we were in a very. Um, lucky, super lucky kind of position. Uh, Elias and myself who are the, the founders. Elias was my co-founder of Performable. He was the VP of engineering at HubSpot. Uh, we decided that we were going to leave before HubSpot went public. We left a few weeks before we went public and um, we wanted to start a new company. And uh, former investor, one who had invested in Performable and one who was the lead investor at HubSpot, uh, contacted us and they wanted to basically give us money for the next idea. Like this has not never happened in, in my career. Right. So like this, uh, super fortunate, super lucky. It's usually the other way around scrambling for money. And so we were able to raise a large amount of money, um, $15 million, um, without, without any idea. We knew kind of the, you know, we've always been in this area. We knew the frustrations that we wanted to go after, and kind of the market that we want to go after, but did we have a, a clear blueprint? No, we didn't. 
So what's the process like going from starting there to trying to figure this out? Um, mm-hmm. How do you navigate the stress of that? And how do you, <laughs> how do you uh, I guess, how do you know when you're there? You've talked about how you can gauge customer reactions yeah. to know if you're, if you're onto something, but how do you know if it's going to be big enough to hit the, the needs of the investors? Yep, that's a fantastic question. It's the one that keeps me up, you know, at night. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and all of us. So how do we know? Um, It's hard, right? Like the doing a a startup once is kind of totally forgivable in my mind because, like, you're so excited about some kind of idea or concept and, like, uh, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. And then, but once you do it multiple times, and this is my fifth at this uh, now, then I start to think like, wow, you must be really into, into the pain of, of doing this because it is a painful <laughs> process, right? It is, uh, it is one that is kind of uh, a constant um, questioning of yourself, right? A, a constant journey of like personal anxiety, no matter. And I've had startups that have gone uh, great from day one, you know, uh, money, uh, customers from day one, never lost a customer, you know, ultimately acquired like, everything's beautiful, team, never lost anyone on the team. And even those were the same. It was just constant anxiety, right? Did I make the right decision? Did I hire the right person? Are we going fast enough? Are we going too fast? Did we hire too many people? Like it's this constant guessing game because you are by definition creating something where there are no, no markers, right? There is no like here, this is an A plus or here you've got a hundred on your test. There's no, there's nothing to measure. There's no measuring sticks and you don't, so you don't know. It's only in retrospect can you look back and say, oh, that was a good decision or not. Uh, and even then, you don't know if there was a better decision. So you're constantly questioning yourself. For us, we did a series of uh, experiments during the year, and we just kept experimenting around things. And one of the questions that we had, because we had you know, raised this amount of money, and we also only raised this amount of money because we had pretty in, uh, high expectations for ourselves, like if we were going to start another company, um, you know, like we were a part of that HubSpot and we helped create a HubSpot, something that size and uh, or that amount of effect um, out there. And so uh, we constantly iterated through these ideas and, you know, we had lots of interesting things that we were working on and none of them ever felt right because uh, they didn't feel like they were big enough and they didn't feel like we were getting the kind of reaction uh, that I described earlier, where someone was kind of like jumping under their seat to to talk about what we were doing. And so for us, that was kind of like the measuring stick. It was really that kind of like visceral feedback, like were we getting that from the people we were talking to? And, um, you know, that's kind of like, a, that makes a lot of people nervous because it's so uh, qualitative, right? <laughs> it's just like a feeling versus like, oh, it's a number. We hit this magic number and that means that we should you know, this product market fit equation says that we have product fits and now we're just going to go, right? What is that equation? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it exists. Sean Ellis had a good, good uh, approximation of it uh, a long time ago and he has a site called Growth Hackers and was uh, an advisor to us back at Performable. But his whole thing was he had a survey, which uh, I believe is still like on Kiss Insights, um, one of Heat and Shaw sites, and about like how many people would um, be very upset if they could no longer use the solution that, that you were providing. And I think he had some magic number, like over 40% have to say yes 
for you to be onto something. But yeah, I don't think it's that simple. So starting kind of at the bottom, you're just talking to people, engaging that gut feeling, okay, you know, this is a big frustration we're hitting. Once you're, you know, pretty convinced from these one-on-ones, what's that like next rung up on the scale of like expanding out to a larger audience before, you know, you really try and go huge? Yeah. And so we were just talking about this. We had a company meeting today. I was talking about uh, stages and just using the number of uh, number of customers as, as the markers for different stages. And we are you know, like there's that early phase, which we were just talking about, which is like the uh, like zero to one. Like you're trying to go from like no customers to like getting someone to really pay attention to you. Then there's that like one to 10 kind of customers. Like, is this somewhat starting to get uh, repeatable? It's all manual, but it's just a matter of like, is there more more people out here that care? And then, you know, you go into different buckets, 100, 102, 1,000, whatever the, the buckets you create are. And all of those really mark different phases within the company, like different people you need in the company, different uh, processes you need in the company, different approaches. And for us, you know, in the early stage, it's moving from zero to one, it's then moving from one to 10. And then it's like, okay, now let's see if that can be repeatable and uh, get into 10 to 100 and keep going and 100 to 1,000. And uh, you know, what we always need to do is kind of spend at least 80% of our time focused on today and hitting the stage that we need to get to, whatever that stage is, 100 to 1,000, let's say. And then, you know, spend the, the next, you know, 20% of our time starting to plan and starting to think about what are the things that we're going to have to implement and do differently to when we hit that next stage as we get closer to that stage. Lots of things end up having to change within a company. And, um, you know, lots of things go wrong when you're not able to go from, from stage to stage. You may have hired someone who is not ready to, you know, was great for this current stage, but it isn't ready to take on some of the challenges of the next two stages. And so you, from a um, team standpoint, you, also, you always have to make sure that everyone's learning and progressing and so that they can get ready for the next stage. And then uh, making sure you're also not root uh, adding people to the team that are five stages ahead of where you are today. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's really hard. I mean, I, I see it now with um, with uh, crew where I work, and it's always a challenge to kind of balance. We need more hands, and what hands do we need? Um, so, mm-hmm. and I, there's no really easy answer. It's you know, it's a hiring problem, right? But yeah, it is. It's a hiring problem, marketing problem, like everything. Yeah changes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, where do we keep up with you? How do we sign up for, for drift? So, uh, you can keep up with me at, um, uh, David and uh, on Twitter on D cancel. And you can sign up for drift at, uh, drift.com, which is D R I F T T. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll link it in the episode notes too. And um, yeah, just really appreciate your time. Thanks, everyone. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today. 